Coming up on Crossing the Lane Lines, the challenges of elite black swimmers has been well documented on this show. But what about the challenges that face their parents? We'll speak to activist and mother of an elite age group swimmer, Melanie Hinson, about the hardships of equipment, travel, lodging, registration fees, and whether or not their child feels safe on a pool deck surrounded by children that don't look like them. Stay tuned. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali, and you're listening to Crossing the Lane Lines. Since I began this podcast, I have spoken to swimmers, coaches, historians, scholars, filmmakers, and activists. They have told me of the challenges and triumphs that they have encountered and overcome. But what about the challenges facing the parents of a young swimmer of color in an elite elite program? What about the financial hardships that many moms and dads face to afford registration fees, travel, lodging, and of course, the concerns they have as, oftentimes, their children are the only kids that look like them on the deck. Joining me to talk about these issues and more is Melanie Henson, a parent and activist whose daughter Kalia is an elite age group swimmer based in York City, Pennsylvania. Melanie Henson, welcome to Crossing the Lane Lines. Thank you. Thank you for hosting me and considering this topic. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Melanie, start us off. When did you get your daughter involved in swimming, and how soon thereafter did you notice that she was becoming rather exceptional in the sport? Sure. Um, to start off, uh, during the uh, summer months, um, I would buy a family membership um, at a private pool. Uh, it was only a few minutes from my house. For um, my, my, I have three children, uh, so for my for my family, Kalia um, was a social butterfly. However. She she <laughs> would just dip her feet in the big pool. Um, she uh, didn't really have any interest in getting, you know, in the pool. She pretty much would hang out in the baby pool at a young age. She would, uh, it wasn't until probably the age of five when she felt, she, she finally, you know, stepped in and uh, dipped her head back. And it was at that moment she agreed that she would take uh, swim lessons. And from that moment on, you know, the the uh, the lifeguard that was giving her some notice there, you know, she had a little bit of talent, um, enjoyed it. And from that, you know, she decided that she would like to try um, the swim team. Uh, so that winter, she actually joined uh, Spring Govary Swim Club. Uh, when she was old enough, and the head coach was uh, Peggy Kyle. Uh, she worked with all of my three kids because uh, my two kids were already in the uh, program. Um, through that, she noticed Peggy, our coach Peggy, noticed that Kalia had a natural talent and passion for it. Kalia uh, paid a lot of attention at the age of five. She paid a lot of attention she, during practice. She was she wasn't like the other kids that you know kind of wandered off or you know, their mind wandered uh, during practice or she was very focused at a young age. Um, when she would get home, she would actually <laughs> regurgitate like uh, stroke techniques that she would hear uh, during practice from the coaches uh, to her to her siblings and, and correct them what they were doing. So um, it was just it was just interesting 
how she developed that discipline and uh, at such a young age. And with that, that's what helped her um, throughout, you know, throughout her journey. She always maintained that focus and that discipline um, and respect for coaching, uh, the coaching staff. And that's what uh, helped her excel um, to build on her natural talent. By that summer, she um, swam in a she was so she was five, and then that swim right after her sixth birthday, she swam in a championship meet. And well, actually, I'm sorry, she was asked to uh, replace a girl that uh, I believe was sick that weekend. And it was following. Um, so Kalia was a Montessori student, and my friend, uh, who we met through Montessori, um, Whitney Metzler uh, Tucker, she actually swam in. She swam for NBAC, and uh, she also went on to University of Florida to swim, and then she also, she swam in the 96 Olympics um, in the 400 IM. So she was standing there with me at this meet, and we were at the end of the lane, and watched Kalia, it, it transformed, she, so she swam, it was, it was 100, uh, 100 medley, and Kalia swam the first uh, leg of the race, which was uh, 25 back, and dropped significant time, and as a she literally just turned six, uh, stayed right up with the eight-year-olds. She swam so hard that she hit her little arm against the uh, pool. But it just, you, you could see at that point, like, she was a relay swimmer. She loved it, and she swam for, you know, her team, which everybody was eight and here, this little six-year-old. And then at that moment that that's when we realized, hey, like, this little girl you know, really loves this and is, you know, probably really going to go somewhere with this. One of the constant limitations of swimmers of color, in some cases at least, is the challenge of how expensive swimming can be. Recently, you wrote on social media, quote, as a single mom raising an African-American elite swimmer, I have experienced great hardships over the last seven years, close quote. You go on further to talk about a situation concerning financial hardships that really hit home. Can you talk about that situation, please? Sure. Um, the so prior to um, where I'm at right now, I made half the money. Um, I mean, we still struggle. However, um, it really at that time that I was still uh, in undergrad, so I you know. I really, you know, I was only making half the money and, you know, we were still struggling because I was going to school, just the, the uh, cost of um, of finishing my degree and um, so, and, and having all three of my kids in the club. Um, and at that time, we, that, that weekend in particular, she was swimming two different championship meets that weekend. She was swimming um, in the mid-cap championship uh, in Spring Grove, Pennsylvania, and then she also was swimming her first long course uh, meet. It was a three-day meet um, in uh, at UMBC in uh, Maryland, right outside of Baltimore. And uh, that day, I remember she broke two two records. Uh, one of which was a was a current Olympian who uh, who attended that uh, school and was in that was in the same club. Haley Cookinger, and I met with Haley Cookinger's parents. They that was actually before um, the 2016 Olympics. They were raising funds, so we uh, I had just enough money 
for gas and to have lunch for that weekend. But I bought her a T-shirt because she really wanted a T-shirt to show support for Haley. So we bought the T-shirt. And on our way to UMBC, uh, she asked for um, she asked for Chipotle. And, you know, I, I, I just broke out crying because I didn't have enough money. You know, here's this little girl that is just sleeping in the backseat, you know, on her way to the next meet, you know, breaking, you know, incredible records and, you know, on her way to some, you know, it was this long course meet and I could not give her, you know, Chipotle. The one thing that, you know, she, you know, she asked for, I couldn't give to her. And I started crying and she told me that, you know, it's okay. Like you, you don't have to worry, you know, we can just get a sandwich, you know, I, at that time, you know, I, was, I had an EBT card where I, you know, was able to get food stamps for $100 a month to supplement um, my income. And we had to use that in order to feed her. So I just promised her at that moment that I was going to do whatever I, you know, had to do to make sure that we never had to go through this again, that I never had to tell her no um, when it came to certain things that I would, that I would, you know, that we would be in a better place uh, financially to make sure that she was able to accomplish um, her goals. And, you know, that's, that that probably, and it sounds silly, but it, at that point, you know, not being able to be, you know, having just the right amount of gas to get to these meets, to be able to meet her needs. And it, that's what really, you know, it, those moments don't don't leave my mind. Like they're etched in my mind to leave, you know, to to really advocate for other kids because it's important to me, you know, for other kids to be able to have the same opportunities. Too often, children of color are the only ones on the pool deck, both at practices and meets that look like them. But your daughter received an opportunity to meet with an NCAA Division One coach from the only current HBCU that was that has a swim program. Can you talk about how Howard University head swimming and diving coach Nick Askew influenced your daughter's swim career? Sure. Um, so, yes, when we uh, met with uh, Coach Askew, we also met with one of the, the female swimmers. Uh, they discussed the, um, their program, the history of the program, um, the significance of being a uh, the only HBCU left, D1 HBCU left, um, with the swimming and diving program. Uh, he also talked about why it's important for um, the outreach that they do uh, in the community um, and also connected us with an entire community um, of other swimmers of color so we could, we actually, you know, through that we, uh, or she attended her first uh, Black History Meet. And walking into that meet, she, it, it was just amazing because prior to that, at, well, when she's at her, um, when she swims with her team, she, um, she feels safe under her cap. She doesn't like to take off her cap because she, she struggles with her curls. She struggles not looking like her mom. Um, and at that meet, she kept her cap off for the most part. So when she wasn't swimming, she had a cap off because it's like she felt free. Um, And it was, she felt, she felt comfortable and she listened, you know, we were down to uh, the, um, 
the Black History Meet down in Tacoma Park in, in Washington, D.C. And I believe, I'm not sure if he was there that year or, um, but he, I believe he was there the, the, the next year, but it was just having him on deck. They, they built this bond and she, <laughs> I, I swear like that, that day she committed to Howard at that day because she absolutely loved him. She loved the school. She loved the program. She just, she felt at home. She felt you could just see the peace in her and just, it, you know, that, that was where she wanted to be. That was where she needed to be. USA Swimming recently formed two groups to tackle the issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. In a press release, they issued, they said, quote, the 22-member DEI Council is comprised of athletes, parents, coaches, volunteers, and non-members representing diverse races, ethnicities, abilities, and LGBTQ plus people to make up USA Swimming's membership. Its purpose is to bring together a group of diverse individuals to consult, deliberate, and provide strategic DEI feedback to USA Swimming. The Black Leadership and Aquatics Coalition, also known as Team Black, consists of former and current USA Swimming national team athletes and is chaired by 2004 Olympic silver medalist Maritza McClendon. Team Black's mission is to be the aquatics leader of the Black voice and to impact the sport of swimming through exposure, resources, and mentorship, close quote. Now, all this sounds well and good, but how will the possible changes that the national office is thinking about be facilitated on the regional and local levels with coaches and officials who may not be as excited as USA Swimming's top brass is about changing the culture? Well, um, with our experience, I don't really feel a change. Um, at the local level, um, I don't think, I think with the Black Lives Matter movement, there's actually been some, I feel like it's uh, pushed people back. Uh, they, you know, I've been told that, uh, but, you know, by parents that my efforts, they, they understand my efforts. However, um, they, they feel differently when opening the pool for certain reasons, I mean, to, to, to the community, to, uh, that they feel that certain, um, that, that it may cause kids, if, if there's certain populations there that they, they might steal, um, and it wasn't necessarily saying this this color, this race, uh, but you know they they know that I, you know, when I when Howard did come to uh, help co-facilitate make a splash in New York uh, on our team, there was there there were some parents that didn't show up, some officials that you know parent officials that didn't show up um, were not supportive of the, they're not supportive of the movement um yeah. and there was also parents that did show up that did show interest um however were were blown away by you know they, they openly said oh wow we didn't know how articulate um 
it hit me. We're, we're, they were blown away by how articulate the kids were. And it, it, at that moment, it just, you know, it, as innocent where the comments were, it, it just really shined a light on, um, the, I guess, the ignorance. Um, and uh, it, it's, been, it, it's been an uphill battle. Uh, it, it's been over a year and a half, and we have not recruited any of the kids that actually came to the Make a Splash program. Um, and that day, um, and uh, that, that's what's really, you know, I took a step back um, from what I was doing because I thought maybe it was too much, maybe I'm pushing too hard. Um, but then, it, you know, my passion was kind of reignited uh, with what I do. I work for juvenile court. So, it's it's something that's really important to me, connecting my two worlds, um, because I work with kids. I work with a lot of minorities. I work with kids, you know, from families that from similar backgrounds. And I, I wish there was more. I wish there's more accountability at the local levels. Um, I don't think there's enough at the regional levels, and I feel that. Uh, I'm in the zone that I'm in. We're in Eastern Zone. So I know that the DI chair in Eastern Zone, she's reached out to me. Um, we've had, and there's other, there's 12 LSCs that make up the uh, Eastern Zone. So there's other chairs, DI chairs within um, our zone that are very passionate and are, and, and are leading the way and uh, providing great examples. Um, in, so we have the, our Facebook group where it's over uh, 237, I think, current members. And a lot of them are coaches, um, parents, advocates uh, that, are, uh, that, that, that are pushing, pushing new, not necessarily within our local, local level, uh, our LSC, but um, in the zone. And I, I know that there are people that are for the movement within our LSC, but it, it recently changed um, – the the board is is fairly uh, fairly new with the represent not fairly new with represented but within the roles I think they're just becoming comfortable with the roles and the new um, idea of uh, the DEI so I think it's such a brand new I, I don't think that they necessarily are um, resistant to it I think that everything is just new to them at that level so um, but it's I, I and with COVID there probably would be uh, more talk about it, more um, accountability. But I, I do feel that all officials, I feel it's necessary that all officials, all volunteers be trained, be certified, um, and be held accountable. But, it, it, you know, right now there's kind of a pause in the world of swimming. So I guess we'll see in the next year um, how things play out. But at the zone level, I know that there's there's that commitment, um, and there's definitely a lot of you know a talk. There's a lot of uh, and there's a lot of things that are you know in play. Uh, but I uh, but there are those teams that how do you? It, it goes beyond the financial uh, barriers that we're trying to break down. It, it, uh, it it's also um, the attitude. So how do you? How do you, you know, how do you address it? How do you, because it, 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 it's, we see like how hard it is to 
change someone's opinion or uh, and, and not that you want it, but make them comfortable. So, I mean, how, how do you do that? Representatives, I'm sorry, at every team that there can, you know, the kids can go, have, have someone to go talk to. But also I feel that prior to the, uh, prior to the diversity camps, at the zone level, that there should be day camps for the younger ones to understand language, what, you know, how they're feeling, what, uh, and when to reach out to someone. But right now, uh, I, I, you know, there's still that struggle. And I feel that eventually it might, you know, things will work itself out. But there's still, you know, with the current climate in the United States, um, I think we have a long way to go. Finally, I thought something you wrote about in a social media post concerning economic hardship was very powerful. You wrote, quote, if the top swimmers in the country are not able to represent their LSC at the top age group championships due to financial hardships, how can the meet be deemed the top age group championship without the top swimmers, close quote. Can you talk a bit more about this, please? Sure. So every LSC handles um, their outreach program differently. Um, they have, you know, power over uh, their outreach program, which the outreach program is what helps, is the, the financial uh, assistance for, uh, for, for, for uh, kids to get needs. And what the outreach program does is it uh, reimburses, the, so the kids only have to pay Five dollars for the USA swim member, USA swimming membership, and then they are reimbursed um, five dollars of their swim swim meet fees or eat for each entry fee at a sanctioned LSC meet. So um, that's about the extent of the program, which it doesn't really help us because a lot of the meets that we do are not sanctioned under our LSC; they're under a, a different LSC. Um, but that day in particular that really affected us when she so Clea previously represented the Eastern, uh, I'm sorry, the, the Middle Atlantic uh, zone team at uh, zones. And I wasn't going to go to, I believe it was the, the 2019 summer zones. Um, we weren't going to, we, you know, by the end of the summer, you've, we've already been to several uh, travel meets that, are really expensive, so we are tapped out um, financially. Um, but and you have to pay a two hundred dollar package fee um, with with our with our LSC. Not every LSC is the same. Some, um, I believe it's Niagara. They actually all all anybody that qualifies um, for the zone team, um, they actually get to go to zones as a team. Everything is paid for, so they there there is no concern. So everybody gets to go. However, in our LLC, you have to pay uh, a package fee in order, and you have to pay that um, the day of the summer long course uh, junior Olympics. And it's $200 for shirt, t-shirt, um, I think they get a little jacket, before the even meet fees are even considered. So if you don't have the $200 that day, you, that your kid doesn't get to, uh, your kid doesn't get to swim in the, uh, <laughs> Kid doesn't get to represent the team at at zone. So if the top kids can't afford to go, how can you deem it a championship? It's not the top kids that are actually there. It's 
who can afford to be there. So that's essentially who is swimming. So how can you really deem it a championship if, you know, your top kids aren't even swimming? And we are going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking to Melanie Henson, activist and mother of an elite age group swimmer. Melanie Henson, we wish you and your family safety during these very difficult times in our country. And thank you again for joining us today on Crossing the Lane Lines. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Crossing the Lane Lines, which is produced by the Black Swim Collective at our studios in San Francisco, California. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you receive your podcast. From all of us here, we thank you so much for your support. And remember, no lives matter until Black Lives Matter. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali for Crossing the Lane Lines, signing off.